It's the end of the world as we know it, and I feel fine. That crazy starts with an earthquake, birds, snakes, and aeroplanes. Many fruits are not afraid. I have a machine, listen to yourself, the world, but it don't need something to your own head. Beat it up and I've seen that no seats. The ladder from the platter with the fear fight down. Like fire in a fire, with the system of the gang, the government for hiring the combat site. But you wasn't coming in a hurry, but you're getting it down your neck. Welcome to the Doom and Bloom Hour with medical preparedness experts, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. Your source for information on how to succeed if everything else fails. And now, your hosts, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. This is the hour of doom. And Bloom. That's right, friends and neighbors. Welcome to the Doom and Bloom Survival Medicine Hour, an unflinching hour of the ultimate in an unacceptable world. I'm Joe Alton, MD, also known as Dr. Bones of doomandbloom.net, where you'll find over a thousand posts, videos, and podcasts on medical preparedness for any disaster. Your chair squeaking. I just don't and want you guys thinking he's making funny noises. <laughs> Actually, those are my joints. I'm at the point where my joints squeaky, squeak. Squeaky. That's right, yes. <laughs> you have a squeaky chair. <laughs> anyway, I am Amy Alton. I am also known as Nurse Amy, and I am a certified nurse midwife and an advanced registered nurse practitioner. And together we are the gang of two, the dynamic duo, the medical matrimony, the spectacular spouses. <laughs> and we are the masters of disaster. We're here to help you keep it together, even if everything else falls apart. Friends and neighbors, have you been injured in an accident with an egregious elk? Well, elk? Oh, that's funny. That's right. Well, our attorney says, don't call me, call Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. And listen to this. All information given and opinions voiced on Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy's Survival Medicine Hour are for entertainment purposes only, just to be clear, (laughs) and do not represent medical advice for anything other than post-apocalyptic settings. And no contract or provider-patient relationship exists or is implied between the hosts and listeners. Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy strongly urge their audience to seek modern and standard medical care. Whenever and wherever it is available. Ah, rightly said. But what happens in a disaster when the ambulance needs a new ignition and the whirly bird is barely heard? (laughs) You like that? I I do like that, actually. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. Well, somebody's got to be the end of the line when it comes to keeping their people healthy in good times or bad. And that someone might just be you. So show the world you got more sense than a box of bullfrogs and get some training and education. And while you're at it, how about some supplies and a quality medical kit to go along with all that knowledge? And what better place to get it than Nurse Amy's entire line of often imitated, never equaled medical kits at store.doomandbloom.net. 
They'll help you deal with medical issues you'll face in any disaster, make your workplace, school, or church safer, and they're designed, indeed, by an honest-to-gosh medical doctor and an advanced registered nurse practitioner. Compare our kits for contents, quality, and cost with anybody else's stuff, I dare you, and you'll agree our kits are the ones that you should have in your medical storage. Our kits, by the way, are approved for your health and flexible savings accounts. That's right. And... I just want you guys to know, don't take our word that we have great medical kits. Check out our testimonials page at store.doomandbloom.net and see what folks just like you have to say about our medical kits and service. That's true. We get a lot of good feedback. That's right. Hey, you know what? We learn as much from you as you do from us. That's a... Is that a sad statement? Or no, that is not that. You guys know a lot out there, a lot more than we do about a lot of different subjects. So connect with the geezer and the goddess and send us some mail, Dale. It's easy. And here's Nurse Amy to tell you how. After running around trying to pad this room, oh, we're in a hotel room. <laughs> we don't normally have to pad our rooms. but Yes, we have a padded room that they keep me in. Now I'm out of breath. <laughs> our elevation's too high. Oh, my well, gosh. Well, let's... Before, okay, before I tell them how to contact us, why don't we tell them why I'm out of breath? That's right. You know what? <sighs> we are not in the great state of Florida. We are in the great state of Montana right now. We're at about 5,000 elevation. We've just came down from Big Sky, Montana, Oof. which was 8,000 or more like elevation. 8,500. Plus, plus, we're in the ski resort area, which is a little bit higher yes. than the the Big Sky right. town. And we went hiking up on the Oof. mountain. And we have been having a, actually a great time. We were at the Wilderness National Medical Conference, took the uh, course for Advanced Wilderness and Expedition Provider. And if anybody uh, who took the course with us is listening in, well, you guys did an awesome job, and I'm proud of each and every one of you. I just want to say that Montana is a friendly place. And oh, my so, goodness. And so, is so I- nice. And so is Idaho and Utah, which are the states that we went through to get to Montana, and we are going to be spending some time in the great uh, national park of Yellowstone in Wyoming. So we're going to be in a number of states that I've never been in before. Where a giant supervolcano is sitting underneath. (laughs) That's right. So you (laughs) underneath the ground. That's right. You preppers out there, you've got. Something to worry about with old Dr. Bones and Are you the lovely talk Nurse about Amy. Altitude sickness today? I actually am not, but I should. Gosh. I will Can have we just to talk, talk about over. that for a second? Well All right, so we live at zero. Right. We're at we're sea at level, sea level. In, sea level zero in, feet. In the great state of Florida, right. <laughs> I think where we live we're maybe three feet above the ocean. <laughs> it's not a lot. If there was a tsunami, all of South Florida would just be wiped out. But we flew in to Salt Lake City and then drove we spent one night in Idaho Falls. That's right. Idaho. I think we talked about that. Idaho Falls, Idaho. Last week. That's right. And yeah, we did a show last week. That's right. We went to the Craters of the Moon National Park. Yes, so we talked about that. That was very cool. But then we immediately went up to Big Sky, which was a huge change in elevation. Uh, did a little diamox, which is supposed to be very helpful for altitude acclimation, prevention yes. of altitude sickness, I should mm-hmm. say. And it gives you a weird feeling, by the way. If you guys take it, your hands and your arms and even inside your body, uh, how do Get you all describe? jangly. Yeah, I, like jangly. a quivery yeah. sort of, I don't know, you feel like an out-of-body experience. It's, it's not pleasant. I'll tell you that. It's right. not fun. I will but anyway, be- it didn't work for me <laughs> so much. Well, it's hard to say 
how much it worked or how much it didn't because obviously it could have been worse yes all right it could easily have been worse the headaches could have been worse right um Boy, is it dry. What a change in humidity. And you wound up having nosebleeds. Oh. You know what? Next week, I'm going to not only talk about altitude sickness, but I'm going to talk about nosebleeds. I have had six horrible, horrible nosebleeds. If anybody out there has had a really bad nosebleed, you know what I'm talking about. Um, So bad. Twice a day. I was like, okay, can we just, like, stop having nosebleeds? So we have left... Big Sky, Montana. We have driven to Bozeman today. That's right. We're in Bozeman, Montana. Beautiful and place. We ju- what a beautiful drive. Oh, my gosh. What's the name of that river that goes through there? Is uh, the Yellowstone River. Oh, so pretty. Well, no, the Gal- I'm sorry, the Gallatin River. Gallatin River. The Gallatin River. Beautiful. We stopped, and, and because we don't buy a lot of souvenirs, we usually take a little nature with us, like a seashell or, you know, something. <laughs> we... We're now collecting rocks, right. so I think I'm going to have to throw all of our clothes away so we can bring home a suitcase, suitcase full, of rocks. full of rocks. That's right. It's hilarious. So. But we stopped, and it was fun on the river, and then we got up here, and you wrote the show. Yes. And then we went to um, another museum. Yes, Tell the Museum cool of the museum. Rockies, one of the most awesome, awesome museums in the air, in this part of the country. So many dinosaur fossils. It is just it's called absolutely Museum amazing. Museum of the Rockies. The Museum of the Rockies. and it has Oh, it's actually on the University of Montana. Montana State like University. Yeah, Montana State University Bobcats. Go Bobcats. Go Bobcats. That's right. And <laughs> it was uh, an awesome, I mean, it's a, it's a big museum for me. Well, I mean, it's huge, not the Smithsonian. but Huge dinosaurs. Yes. And You know, you amazing. read about it, you see pictures. Maybe you've seen one or two in a museum, but they had a lot and put together so that you saw it in a full scale. Right. They had a T-Rex that was just huge. It was ginormous. And a <laughs> Triceratops, uh, one of those, um, I don't know, like, frilled dinosaur. They call them a frilled dinosaur, I guess, because they have that frill in back of in their In the back, right. Head. And they have <clears throat> horns and all this other crazy stuff. And they are as big as a truck, I'm telling you. It makes uh, Shark Week look like, you know, minnows. Right. <laughs> yes, and they have a number a number of uh, T-Rex specimens there. And they have also a lot of great pioneer stuff. So we yes. got to see uh, surreys. We got to see buggies we got to see covered wagons coach uh, the, the kind of much, housing right they, kind had of houses they, had. they had a type of house called balloon housing because people that were skilled carpenters thought that it was so flimsy that it would blow away in the next big <laughs> the wind first breeze came along but you know what <laughs> yeah they actually worked out pretty well for these folks and let's it, see what was else is there oh uh, the history of the earth Yes. was really neat to see the different rock formations and fossils and, and and how really visually how short of a period of time that humans have actually been here. That's right. Um, if you believe in evolution. <laughs> yeah. So it was quite interesting. And then we go through the uh, pioneer, you know, old buggies, old... Right. Um, all sorts of different... Old cars. Right, they have some educational housing, things. And then... They gave you a number of items on the wall or, or in a table in front of you, uh, and they ask you, basically, what is this? That's it's a right. multiple choice, but they're things that you wouldn't imagine exist today. Right, in a little display case. So you have to 
turn this little thing crank on the wall and right you go to number one and you look at item number one and then you've got to pick it gives you a multiple choice and you got to pick what it is and there were some really strange yeah, i know like items a, that we've never seen a centrifuge you had to work by hand an old-time sprinkler an old-time sprinkler a lemon right. squeezer right there was a physician's headlamp and a darning egg a darning you egg. You know what a darning egg is out there. That they use, the, in this case, a, a small gourd. And basically it's where, it's what you put next to. Inside a sock. Inside a sock, right. Uh, the toe of a sock or the heel of a sock so that you have something firm so you can sew against it. Right, so you're not sewing your sock so your lots, toes together. Lots of great <laughs> stuff. Well, hey, back to the show. How can our listeners contact us? Sure. They can email us anytime at drbonespodcast at aol.com. Find us on Facebook at our group, Survival Medicine, Dr. Bones, and Nurse Amy. Find and like, subscribe, I think is really what you're saying, or follow. I don't follow, know. Follow, follow, follow. Follow, follow. To the Doom and Bloom page on Facebook. You can also follow us on Twitter at Prepper Show. And don't forget our YouTube channel, Dr. Bones Nurse Amy. And we want to thank uh, our listeners like on KYAH Radio in Utah, which carries this podcast, the Survival Medicine Hour, and, of course, our other podcast, current event podcast, American Survival Radio, now broadcast from several land-based radio stations in Texas, in Alaska, in Oregon, uh, Pennsylvania, gosh, all over the place in the U.S. of A., well, for the second week in a row, I am tempted to talk about heat waves. You know that the temperature in Arizona hit 111. Oh, my goodness. Uh, talk about frying an egg on a sidewalk. And the funny thing is that they actually showed a picture of one person that was in the backcountry, mm -hmm. I guess hiking in the Arizona backcountry. Oh, was that the airlifted guy? Yes, and having Poor to go thing. through the same evacuation procedure that we <laughs> Just implemented and right. reviewed in the Advanced uh, Wilderness Expedition Provider course. Uh, but, you know, we did heat waves as a topic just recently, so check out our Blog Talk radio channel. You'll find it. And the funny thing is I also wanted to talk about the California wildfires, which are still only about a third contained. Unbelievable. But, but before you mention that, I, also, I just want to tell people that there is a ton of smoke here. Right. There was a ton of smoke over at Big Sky, Montana. We drove by a fire, which on a ridge we, next to the I'm road. sure we mentioned last week. <clears throat> on our way over to um, Big Sky. But anyway, we I have a video of a fire that's on a ridge, and we're just on the edge of the west side of Yellowstone, blowing west, so it sh I don't know, it shouldn't have really affected this area. But when we drove here into no, Bozeman... Lots of smoke and haze, yeah. It, it actually looks like Los Angeles. A little bit. It looks like there's a ton of pollution, and I know... It's fire because you can smell it. You can smell. You can smell. It's like somebody's got the their all their fireplaces on in the entire and town. Just had a big rain, so I'm hoping that's going to help whatever's going on. So anyhow, we talked about that just a couple of weeks ago as well. So look up our Blog Talk Radio channel. You'll find that topic discussed in pretty good detail. I'm going to revisit it though if we're still having issues with this fire next week. Now, you know, we've talked a lot about uh, natural disasters like wildfires and, of course, hurricanes and tornadoes, but not as much about some of the complications that go along with them. 
Flooding is one of the most common disasters to affect the United States. As a matter of fact, and there's flash flooding in the eastern part of the country as we speak. As a matter of fact, right here while we were eating dinner, there was a massive, at short but massive rainstorm that I like think... Like a burst. Like a, yeah, it was a, a cloudburst, essentially. And in an area that's relatively dry, like we ha- like here in <laughs> yeah, Montana, right. well, you know what? You could have flash flooding in this part of the country, just as you can have flash flooding in the eastern part of the country, maybe more. As a matter of fact, it's part and parcel of a lot of different catastrophes from the aftermath of blizzards all the way to mudslides, gosh, to just about everything. As a matter of fact, it's a reason for almost 75% of presidential disaster proclamations. As such, I want you to know how to keep your family safe during this kind of event. So what are floods and what causes them? This, this is something important to know. The floods and basically an overflow of water it submerges land, which is normally dry. Duh, I guess you should. <laughs> I guess everybody knows that. Uh, in the U.S., there are various causes for flooding, however. Let's talk about some of those. And one or two of these can occur anywhere in the country. And the main one that concerns me, at least right now where I am here, yeah. is the flash flood. Flash floods usually develop shortly after a nearby heavy rain. And I say nearby because it doesn't have to be raining right on top of your head for rising water to endanger you. Floods from even miles away can create a rapid rise of water level, especially in low-lying areas like floodplains or, or river riverbed areas. And ice jams, uh, levee failure, a dam failure, these are some things that can actually cause it, but not as often as a an unexpected heavy rain. Now, having said that, some of the flash flooding in the news today goes to river flooding. And river flooding can be caused by the heavy rainfall as well, but it also can be caused by rapid snow melt and indeed ice jams. We'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, there's normally calm flow in a river, although some of these rivers here, since they there's such a change in elevation, are really awesome for uh, white water rafting oh yeah oh we saw tons of people doing that that's one of the main i think industries here is is getting tourists on rafts and having them go and when normally a relatively calm <laughs> flow a level two or three rapid could become easily a five and become become very turbulent rapidly if a flash flood occurs in the area and the result basically endangers well not only tourists but it threatens structures and pretty much populations all along its course. Then, of course, there's also the storm surge flood, and these cause a great loss of life and property. There are a lot of tropical or even non-tropical storm systems that bring heavy winds, but most of the damage is not from wind. It's a result of flooding due to the storm surge, a rise of water that's generated by the storm that goes above the normal tide levels. Now, when the storm approaches the coast, High winds cause large waves that inundate all sorts of stuff, damage foundations, and really can cause significant loss of life. Now, here's one I'll bet you didn't think about. It is very pertinent to what's happening right now, uh-huh. right in our area yes. and in places like California. And those are burn scars, especially in the western U.S. where we are here. But there are areas in the east like this too, like the Great Smoky Mountains. There are places that have had significant wildfire activity in the last few years, Well, the bare ground left behind by a wildfire can become hardened to the point that, or scarred, you can call it that, 
that water cannot get through. It's hard, it's hard, a hard surface and it's no longer as absorbent as it used to be. That's called a burn scar. Burn scars are less able to absorb moisture and what that does is it leads heavy rains to accumulate water wherever gravity takes it. And mudslides, especially, well, essentially mudslides are a moving river of wet concrete. These are uh, times when you'll see these kinds of disasters, mudslides uh, or landslides. Now, I know this is summer, but I want to talk a little bit about ice jams. There are northern areas, of course, of the U.S. and, and Alaska. There is even still snow in the mountains. Yes. In Big Sky, Montana. Yes, exactly. Not that a was... lot. I mean, it wasn't covered. No. But there were still patches. Sure. I couldn't believe it. Absolutely. And I'll tell you, <clears throat> in the winter, there's a lot of flooding that occurs as a result of an ice jam. An ice jam is when moving ice and debris, become, uh, let's say down a river, are blocked by some kind of obstruction. And the water is, as a result, held back. And what that does is it causes flooding, not downstream like a flash flood, but a flooding upstream. And this often, these uh, jams often occur at bends in a river. A lot of rivers are, are not just straight lines. <clears throat> They're bendy and they meander all over the place. And when you have an obstruction, then what happens is that you have a flood in back. It becomes a then, giant dam. Right. But then, like an, eventually... A natural dam. Right, right. And then it, what happens is eventually the pressure at that bend in the river becomes so big that it breaches. And when it breaches, flash flooding then occurs downstream. Very rapidly. Very rapidly. Very, very rapidly. That's right. Now, of course, in in the heyday of lumberjacking, when they used to ha send a lot of logs floating down the river, that may that could ha happen. might have had the same effect. Sure. And of course, there's also we're talking about ice. We'll also talk about snow, snow melt flooding. That's not uncommon in northern states and mountainous areas. And snow is basically well, it's stored water, right? And once the temperatures rise above freezing, well. All I can say is that the soil is not absorbing any of the snow until it melts. And if the temperatures rise, and especially if they rise relatively fast, uh -huh. the snow melt acts as if it came from rain, from a heavy rain. Gotcha. And when there's more water that can be con then <clears throat> the soil can handle, well, it goes into the rivers and the lakes. And if it becomes more than they can handle, then you have flooding. Of course, there are barrier failures. If you remember Hurricane Katrina, the, the levees broke. And, well, you know, that was uh, due to the storm surge from the hurricane, which we talked about storm surge already. But it could be due from just excessive rainfall. It could be due to erosion, due to landslides. It could right. be due to earthquakes even. <clears throat> so many natural causes can cause a dam or a levee to break. And some... Dams fail as a result of man-made issues, such as negligence or improper maintenance. Right, I was just going to say. Even sabotage. Or, or po just poorly built. Yes. Or being old. We have a lot of infrastructure in this country that was built after World War II. Right, or even before World War II. <laughs> well, yeah. Right, exactly. Well, that's even scarier. <laughs> right. So what happens is the water level overtops the barrier, or, or, and, or water, honestly, can just seep through... Uh, Defects in it. 
Now, many people have heard of a hurricane or tornado watches and warnings, but you know what? The U.S. Weather Service also tries to warn the populace of flooding. So there is indeed a, something called a flash flood watch. That means that flash flooding is possible in the near future. And a flash flood warning, now that means that flooding indeed is imminent in a particular area. If you live in a low-lying area, especially near a dam or a river, then you should heed warnings when they're given and be prepared to get the heck out of Dodge as quickly as you possibly can. Rising floodwaters can easily trap you in your home. You don't want to have to perch on your roof waiting for help. I'm sure you've seen images of people in exactly that situation, oh, and so that's scary. not what you want to do. So here are some flood safety tips. If you want to make it safely through a flood, well, I want you to consider these recommendations. Number one, get out of Dodge early. Make the decision to leave for higher ground before the flooding occurs and the roads become blocked. If you wind up having to not go in a vehicle about, or, or even in a vehicle, uh -huh. walking or driving through flowing water, that is a big problem. As a matter of, if you're walking through uh, flowing water or if you're driving, what happens is, is that it doesn't take much flowing water maybe about some people say six inches or, or a foot mm -hmm. to knock you over if you're if you're walking through it and maybe just a little more than that to actually send your car move a car moving floating downstream especially if the movement is violent i just saw on television today mm -hmm. when we were leaving big sky remember they had the television on yeah of a car and you and the windshield wipers are on by the way windshield wipers are on and the car is in what looks like a river, which was probably a road just prior because the car battery is still going. I don't know if there was still someone in that car, but the windshield wipers are on and you see the car and the front of the car is down a little bit. The windshield, the, uh, yeah, the, the windows yes. were out of the water. So if there was someone in there, they, were, they hadn't drowned yet, but this car was going at a pretty rapid pace. Well, I'm glad you mentioned. So scary. I'm glad you mentioned where that. Where was that? Did you catch where I missed that, that actually no, had I happened? I actually missed it, but that I'm it's not in sure the, that it's in the northeast. It, it was in the northeast, but so I don't know exactly scary. where. But I got to tell you that as many you, you know, you're wow. right to be concerned because as many people drown in their cars as anywhere else. Cars stall, uh, roads and bridges can be washed out. That might be right. what happened in, in the image you saw, and so therefore, guys, try to figure out if there's a high road to safety before a flood occurs. Of course, there are uh, the possibility of downed power lines. You gotta watch out for those. Uh, and the reason why is that electrical current is so easily conducted through water. You don't have to even touch the down line to be electrocuted, just step in the water nearby. And I've seen <clears throat> terrible stories of entire families that are killed as a result of one person being electrocuted by tr stepping out of the car and then each individual family member starts running out or, or gets out of the car or tries to get out of the car to help that person winds up getting electrocuted in turn because they're putting their feet in the water. So it can be pretty terrible. Now, flood water. I was just going to say, I see some of this flooding. Um, Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania. Okay, so, uh, the Louisville River. Uh -huh. That was eight hours ago. A lot of places. And then... Uh, Around D.C.? This wow. says that there's more... Uh, flooding threats around Washington D.C. Also, right. yeah, indeed. So these and the effects are going to last for another day or so. Well, this I'll tell you, scary. there is always some natural disaster in the news, and <clears throat> I, I always tell folks out there, you know what? Maybe 
I will admit to you that today is unlikely you're going to be the day you're going to be involved in a natural disaster about maybe tomorrow or next week. You, it's unlikely, but over the course of a lifetime, don't be surprised. There is a, is a chance, and, and even your children's lifetime. So you have, we've got to instill a culture of preparedness in this country. If we can do that, we will save a lot of lives. Uh, wait, now, I just want to say also, Atlanta. Yeah, it's it, it's there's a, a band that seems to go all the way through. Even, wow. It even, even is passing through Gatlinburg, so... There's certainly the risk of mudslides and other kinds of issues, even where we have our uh, <clears throat> our mountain home. Just now, it says, literally, like a, a couple of minutes ago, a flash flood warning has been issued for Clayton, DeKalb, and Henry County counties until 1.45 a.m. Incredible. Wow. By the way, this is uh, August 2nd we're recording this. You guys will hear it on the third. <laughs> so crazy yeah. stuff. Yeah, it is pretty crazy. Wow. Now about flood water, water, water everywhere. But you want to know something? There's not a drop to drink of that stuff. Flood water is not clean water. It is contaminated by debris. Even water treatment plants might even been compromised by the disaster. So make sure you always have a reliable way to sterilize water, a good supply of clean water in your storage. Some of the ways that we have are uh, the mini Sawyer. Uh, filters. We have the yep. Life Straw filters. These are a, a couple of ways. We have a, a Catadin too. Uh, also Catadin. We yep. have also water purification tablets. Um, oh, we have so many things. We have, <laughs> we're up to our neck in ways to to but purify you know what? water. Extra plans. Yes. Plan A, Plan B, Plan C, and a whole lot more. That's you never right. Know. You always have to want to have more than one way to, That's right. to skin that cat. Now, so have your supplies handy. Uh, because floodwaters, they don't always recede right right away. I mean, they may be there for a while. So you want to have, besides clean water, you want to have non-perishable food. You want to have a heat and light source. You want to have batteries. You want to have tools. You want to have a medical kit. I know where you can get a good one. <laughs> it's it's store.doomandbloom.net. Uh, you want to have your cell phone. You want to have a NOAA weather radio available, maybe one of those crank types so that you don't have to worry about power so much and speaking of power turn off the power if you have reason to believe that water is going to get into your home turn off the electricity don't use appliances or motors that have gotten wet unless they are dried out you might have to take some of these apart by the way to clean debris out of them because if, if really a water has if floods a flood has gotten into your home it, it brings a lot of debris in with it and so it might just go into some of your appliances uh you always have to watch out for intruders. There are a lot of critters that are flooded out of their homes in the forest. They may seek shelter in your home. Snakes, raccoons, and other creatures that are uh, mercurial in temperament, in other words, they may not always be in a good mood, may decide that your home is now their territory. And, of course, be aware human intruders may also be interested in your property as well. You want to always watch your step after a flood. You always want to make sure that you know where you're going because there's debris everywhere. If you're walking through water, there's a bunch of stuff on the ground, I'm sure, that you may not expect to be there. In, in your own home, the floors may be covered with mud. That may cause a slip and fall hazard. That is a big issue as well, so you have to be very, very careful. Uh, check for gas leaks. If uh, there's been damage to your house, don't use candles, lanterns, stoves, even lighters, until you're sure that the gas has been turned off 
and make sure the area is well ventilated. Uh, let's face it, you know, exhaust fumes can kill you. And for that reason, only use generators and camping stoves, charcoal grills outside because their fumes can be deadly. That's something that's very important to know. You want to, of course, clean out any saturated items completely. If you have stored, food stored in waterproof containers, you're probably okay, but the outside of the containers are not, so you have to be uh, careful about that. Of course, thoroughly wash any utensils and other items that you have for personal use. I'll tell you, floods are just one of the many natural disasters that can endanger your family, but with planning and some supplies, you'll be able to keep your family safe. Now, speaking of floods, yes. one way that a flood can end your <laughs> summer is by drowning in one. Oh. <laughs> right? Yes. Well, that's what I was fearing for when I saw that car floating right. in the, and, and indeed, the street is, slash new river. That is a serious issue. And summer is in full swing right now. And many of you guys are going to be out there traveling on vacation uh, look at us. We're in Montana. You may go to the beach. You might go to the lake, other waterfront areas. And that puts you at risk for injuries. And one of the most harrowing and heartbreaking ones, I think, is the drowning incident. According to a 2004 report from the World Health Organization, drowning is the third leading cause of death from injury. And from 2000 to, let's see, 2005 to 2009, there were an average of close to 4,000 drownings annually uh, not total, but annually in the United States. That, that's a lot. That is a lot. That's right. Now, and, and that doesn't count non-fatal water submersion injuries or uh, otherwise known as near, near drownings. Near drowning, right? right. They're about five times greater than the drowning. So there are about 20,000 of those. Wow. And some of these wind up involving brain damage that can cause long-term effects, especially in children. Uh, drowning seen much more often in males. And the younger the person, the higher the rate of risk, uh, age one to four is the highest risk uh, age group and it's also the second leading cause of death from injuries in kids that are from 1 to 14 years old and they're surpassed only by car wrecks amazingly there are a number of factors that increase the risk of drowning and they include things like well i mean not being able to swim if you can't swim your chances of drowning increase i don't have to tell you that yeah. uh poor supervision that is a big issue drowning can occur Relatively quickly and without a lot of noise, by the way, even the presence of lifeguards may not save you on the beach. And but wait, not only do you need to supervise somebody who's in a pool, you also need to supervise someone who's in a bathtub. Oh, yes, that's that right. That is also a lack of supervision issue. Right. Oh, I'll just go answer the phone. Oh, I'll answer the front door. Oh, I need to go check my Facebook. Whatever it is, it's not paying attention to the person that you should be paying attention to. It could be an older person. It doesn't even have to be a child. If you care for somebody, who, somebody with a, a, who's got a disability. A seizure disorder, maybe? A, yeah. An epilepsy? A, right, a health problem. Somebody who's older who you know, might be, not be paying as much attention to their surroundings as they used to when they were younger. I mean, there's issues. So you need to pay attention. And I think that is a, a really big thing. I'm glad you mentioned that. Yeah, well, so so bathtubs are definitely a place that there could be a problem. Supervision is very important. Home swimming pools, very likely place that young uh, children especially drown. Uh, most well, drowning... At, oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, it's just because they're, they're curious. Yes. Kids don't go into a pool because they want to drown. They go into a pool because... They might have had fun there before. No, the pool is, oh, I remember yeah. it was fun, and it's so pretty, right. and it's sparkly. Right. And oh, my, there might be a couple of pool toys in there. 
right. that they want the pool toys. They like to get to, right. Either on the bottom or floating in the middle of the, the pool. So something interesting right. draws their attention. Exactly. Now, adults, however, <clears throat> drowning events with adults usually occur in recreational waters, boating, uh, wilderness settings, things like that. Of course, adults sometimes wind up intoxicated in these settings, a very bad thing. I'm not a... Good point. You not don't a big drink. drink. I don't, no. I'm not a big drinker. You just don't. Or anything like that. You I, don't. And I like having my wits about me in a lot of different situations. You know, I'm, I'm deep into that situational awareness. I like that. Uh, culture. And so I just find that... You're my protector. Drinking alcohol <clears throat> makes it difficult to be with it. Vigilant. <laughs> Alert. Calmly vigilant. That's, That's right. right. That's right. Uh, pool fences, of course, that separate a pool from the yard, they reduce a child's risk of drowning by how much? 20%, 30%? No, 83%. So if you've got little kids, construct a pool fence around there, separate the pool from the yard. Uh, life jackets also, by the way, 88% of boating deaths by drowning involve people that weren't wearing life vests. This just happened. That's right. The duck boat incident. Yes, that's right. That happened in Missouri, I Those think. folks were crossing in the lake, and that storm hit, and apparently, I don't know if it was the captain, I think it was the captain, told them, don't worry about it. You don't have to put your life jackets on. Everything will be fine. If these people would have just been able to put their life jackets on, maybe not so many people would have passed away. I think 11 a nine Perished from one family. A nine think. from one family. That was, what a tragedy. So, so sad. That was So awful. life jackets. Wow. Well, so how can <clears throat> we stay safe in the water? How do you keep your family safe from drowning? One, of course, have everybody take swimming lessons. You can take swimming lessons even as a baby, essentially. They yes, can that's sort of true. drown-proof your, your baby uh, it, with a specific type of class. And definitely At least consider give them a that. chance to get to the side. I think there that's the main goal there is just um, making them kind of as much of as alert as you can at that young, young age as to keeping their head up yes. out of the water and trying to get to the side if they can. Right. And and these kind of lessons, by and the way, it, are, mo- it progresses from there as right. they get older. Right. There's nothing magic about these things. Swimming lessons are provided by a lot of <clears throat> municipalities throughout the country, even for young children. Usually they're free or uh, are very inexpensive. So are CPR classes, very important when it comes to aiding drowning victims. You always want to have strict supervision on the minors in your group. Children in the water always need to be supervised by a responsible and sober adult. That is important. Now, by the way, when I say supervised, the adult should be, especially for preschool children, should be close enough to be able to touch the child and not be involved in any other activity. Now, of course, you should utilize the buddy system. That's important. Everyone, even adults, should always swim with another person or persons. You should not swim on your own, of course. Uh, there are white sharks out in the water. In the water. No, I, no, this is not that. This is not that show. Wait, it could be shark. Isn't it Shark Week now? Yeah, it is uh, Shark Week, or maybe the end of Shark Week. So if you want to see, we uh, get a lot of recordings to watch we, when we get home. Yes, that's right. But thankfully, we're not divers, so it's okay for us to watch it. Well, shark attacks are probably not what we're talking about today, mm-hmm. but we are talking about the beach. 
on the beach, beware of rip currents. You always need to know the meaning of flags that are on uh, supervised beaches, uh, high waves, water that's discolored, uh, that has debris in it, channels of water that are moving away from shore. Those are signs of dangerous conditions. If you're caught in a rip current, they want you to swim parallel to shore until you're free of the current, then diagonally towards the beach. I will have By to the way, say, that's controversial. That's There's some new ways oh, of doing really? that. Because that's but, how I was taught. But I, I, And we used to swim a lot when uh, I was young. And but we, I'll be we talking were already about in that. South Florida. I'll be talking about that. In but I'll tell terms. you, that has got to take some heck of a control. Think of it. You're being dragged away from the beach. You're scared to death that you're about to die. And you're told, don't swim back to the beach. Right. Which is land, which is where you know you're going to be okay. You want to but get don't on. go back to the beach right now. I'd like to know who can actually do that. <laughs> I would like to see everyone raise their hand who could, who thinks that they would have that much control under that stre- stress and fear of being pulled underwater away from the shore that they would say, oh, I'm just going to swim parallel to the shore for a few minutes and then I'll be okay. I tell you what, I know, I know that I would try to make a beeline back to that beach. But what happens is, is you and wind I know, up getting exhausted. I know exhausted it's terrible. I know it's not right. I just know it's what, what I would do in yes, my fear. But you're absolutely right. And it's the wrong thing to do, so don't do it. <laughs> uh, I want to want everybody to know there, everybody has these uh, little swimming noodles and inflatable toys. They don't take the place of life jackets, no. noodles, water wings, things like that are not what you need to, especially on well, boat, boating them. trips. You can lose them yeah. easily. They'll slip out. Of, they'll slip out of your hands when you're in a swimming pool. Right. you got to be firm about using the right equipment, safety equipment, even <clears throat> for adults when it comes to water. Uh, let's see. Uh, get those pool fences up uh, four feet high with a high latch. That's the safest way to avoid uh, kids falling or jumping into a pool that they shouldn't be getting into and getting into trouble. Don't leave toys near the pool after swimming that kids are going to want to uh, grab. Uh, be aware of the weather, by the way. Thunder showers often whip up the water with strong winds. They increase the risk of drowning just like they did for those poor people that yeah. were on that duck boat. Uh, and if you're going to be swimming seriously, or especially in water that's uh, deep, be physically fit. Swimming involves exertion. Make sure that you're up to the challenge. Don't drink alcohol. Don't hyperventilate, by the way. Taking rapid, deep breaths. Uh, I, we used to do this when I was a kid. We used to take deep breaths for a contest to see who can stay underwater uh-huh. the longest. Well, some yep. people can actually black out and wind up drowning from doing silly things like that. Um, if you suffer from epilepsy or other kind of disorder like that, use the shower, not a bathtub. <clears throat> Odds of drowning, obviously, much lower. And Any swimming activity should be done only with one-on-one supervision if you have that medical issue. In the wilderness, remember, be wary of water crossing. Remember I said fast-moving water can knock you off your feet, even if it's just a foot deep. Now, there's something called the drowning chain of survival. It's a call to action. And at the beach or in the wilderness, what do you do if you encounter a distressed person in the water? Your first response is going to be to jump in and help them, of course, But remember that the hazards that are causing the problem are probably still there. Also, the person in question is probably going to be panicking, flailing about. And so to avoid injury to you and reduce the risk that you're going to become the next victim, I say this. Reach, throw, row, go. Reach 
out to the person with a stick or an oar rather than jumping in the water. If that, if you don't have that, throw the person a lifeline, a life preserver, some floating object that they can grab onto that they can keep their head out, uh, above water. Row out to the person in a canoe or another boat if that's available. And go into the water only, only when there is no other option. In circumstances when you encounter a person in trouble in the water, shout for help and get as many people to help as possible. Remove the person from the water in a safe manner. In normal times, you want to call emergency medical services, but you may need to begin CPR using both chest compressions and rescue breathing. Chest compressions alone, by the way, are not sufficient for drowning victims. It's what an untrained person is told to do. Just do chest compressions for, a, let's say, a, somebody who has a cardiac arrest in the, arrest in the mall, but for drowning victims, you need to do chest compressions and rescue breathing. So very important to learn CPR. If available, you may wind up, having, uh, wind up using an automated external defibrillator or an AED and assist in transport to a modern medical facility. You gotta imagine uh, that a final outcome worsens significantly if you can't get that person to modern medical help. Now, there's another issue besides that that is, I think, uh, a concern, and that is that the water may actually contain a disease-causing organism. Oh, yes. You know, in summer weather, I mean, it's tempting to cool off at the lake or the local swimming pool. Uh, well, the thing is the water may have pathogens in it. Pathogens mm -hmm. are disease-causing organisms, and it's important to realize that even the clearest mountain stream can have bacteria or other organisms that can make you sick often in the form of some kind of diarrheal kind of disease. There are common human contaminants that can cause recreational water illness that, that includes fecal matter, vomit, and blood. Of these, fecal matter is by far the absolute most dangerous. Just one person with diarrhea having an oops moment in Ugh. the swimming area can contaminate the entire place Others in the water nearby who swallow even a small amount can become infected, and before you know it, you got an outbreak. Vomiting is often caused by swallowing too much water, so regurgitating a gullet full of pool water, well, it's probably not the most likely cause of spreading an infectious disease. But those who regurgitate a lot of stomach contents, they may be doing so because they are sick. They might have a norovirus infection, otherwise known as the stomach flu. Amy, you had that. Yes, And New I York wrote an City. article about that, uh, I think, in 2017. I actually thought I was getting it last night. Oh, my goodness. Yes, you were feeling not so, not so good. Yes. Well, I took a couple antibiotics. Just, so well, it, was, it got better. <laughs> if, you vomited, if you're just vomiting chlorinated pool water or uh, just water, you're probably not <clears throat> going to do a lot of contaminating. But if you have some kind of weird viral infection or some infection and you're vomiting up a stomach full of infected contents, well, that may be an issue. Uh, blood also may contain, that may contain viruses, for example, like hepatitis B or HIV, but the concentration is small if you're in open water, very unlikely to spread disease. And in properly chlorinated pool water, viral lifespans are even shorter than in open water. And I want you to know that the CDC, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, has no documented cases of either HIV or hepatitis B caused by exposure to pool water. 
Thank goodness. So that's something. Uh, now, given the significant risk caused by fecal contamination, we're going to concentrate uh, with the time we have left on some organisms that are common in recreational waters that can cause diarrheal illness. One is E. coli. Now, E. coli, or Escherichia coli, is a common inhabitant of your intestinal tract out there. But some strains, especially one known as 0 or O157H7, produce a toxin known as Shiga, S-H-I-G-A, that causes a bloody diarrhea, nausea and vomiting, dehydration, all sorts of other symptoms. Besides its presence in lakes, ponds, and pools, you'll find O157H7 uh, in people that travel. Traveler's di diarrhea can be caused by it. Now, after this organism enters your system, it usually takes about several days for symptoms to appear. Now, unlike many infections, E. coli tends not to cause high fevers. Uh, however, the abdominal pain, the diarrhea, and the vomiting can be pretty nasty. Dairy products or anything with high fat content or fiber make your systems, symptoms worse. If they're untreated, you wind up getting really bad dehydration. It causes decreased urine production or a dark urine, weakness, fatigue, and, and gosh, if you don't rehydrate that person, they can develop kidney failure, seizures, uh, worse. But the good news is that rehydration support will help the victim for the, the six to eight days that it takes to get over the infection. Now, antibiotics like sulfur drugs may have some benefit, but they're rarely indicated. The infection usually goes away by itself. It's now thought that Pepto-Bismol has some benefit as a preventative for those at risk, not only from contamination from recreational waters, but for travelers' diarrhea. Uh, using anti-diarrheal uh, medicines like uh, Imodium, however, is problematic, actually may prolong the illness. Now, Giardia is another one. Matter of fact, Giardia is the most common disease-causing parasite in the world. It's officially called Giardia lamblia. It's not uncommon even in really pristine backwater, uh, backwaters in many national parks in the United States. Uh, symptoms commonly present about one or two weeks after exposure to contaminated water. It takes a little while for it to uh, start gaining steam. And patients complain of a foul, watery, or greasy diarrhea. Uh, abdominal cramping, really violent vomiting, and a lot of gas and flatulence. Uh, Giardia lambia exists in active and inactive form. The active form is called a trophozoite. The inactive form is known as a cyst. Trophozoites, what they do is they act, the active version attached to the lining of the small intestine and cause symptoms. But trophozoites can't live long outside a host. So it's the hardier cysts that they produce that spread the infection to other people in, wa in recreational water. Uh, with a little, as little as 10 cysts are needed to actually begin an infection. Ordinarily, what happens is your stomach acid will take these cysts, which usually have very hard walls, and, and gets rid of the wall, and that turns, it turns them into activated trophozoites, and you start getting all the signs and symptoms of the illness. Of course, metronidazole, which has a veterinary equivalent called fishzole, that's a common drug treatment in conjunction with oral rehydration. There are some newer drugs like tinidazole, and that they've recently entered the market, and some are effective with just a single dose, so something to consider, although they are by prescription. Then you have shigella. Shigella is known as dysentery. It's cause, actually, dysentery can be caused by a number of different microbes, but the most common form is caused by a bacteria known as Shigella. It's seen in crowded, crowded unsanitary conditions, maybe 
a community pool, a public pool, a swimming pool. You know, you're going to make people never go in the pool again. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, but they just have to be careful. As well as in poorly treated drinking water and food, uh, uh, some antibiotics like Cipro, sulfur drugs, in conjunction with oral rehydration are effective therapies. You're the victim of a shigella of dysentery, as fever, abdominal pain, bowel movements that are bloody mucus in nature. Uh, usually begins pretty quick, one to three days after exposure, and you're always feeling like you have to go to the bathroom. In severe cases, people with dysentery may pass more than a liter of fluid per hour uh, out of their body. Uh, milder cases, you may only have to rehydrate them, but uh, antibiotics may be necessary in this case. And we're going to talk about... Um, you know, I think I have enough time to talk about this right now. Uh, one that is a especially persistent cause of diarrheal disease from contaminated recreational waters is cryptosporidium, also known as crypto. Now, that organism survives for right, a longer but not, time. Not crypto the coins. Right. And crypto the disease. Right, right. The organism survives for a longer time than other pathogens. It's not uncommon in waterways. In high-density areas like pools, hot tubs, and water parks, wow, crypto is responsible for the grand majority of those people that are made ill from contaminated water. As a matter of fact, the CDC has reported almost 500 outbreaks between 2000 and 2014, 27,000 cases, eight deaths during that time. Uh, crypto spreads in pool water when someone who's sick uh, goes swimming, has a bowel movement in the water, and... Uh, a diarrheal stool will spread the pathogen more uh, quickly than a forum stool. Uh, those people who swallow contaminated water become sick for weeks with watery diarrhea, stomach cramps, vomiting. And this occurs even in properly chlorinated pool. Chlorine takes days to eliminate cryptosporidium as compared to minutes for organisms like E. coli and others. The CDC actually has a formula for hyperchlorination, which may speed up the process and that you can find at uh, cdc.gov. Now, treatment of ongoing infections can include things like uh, azithromycin, ZPAC, uh, nitazooxanide, uh, that's another one, and uh, antidiarrheals like Imodium may be helpful for that. An ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. The CDC recommends if your kids have diarrhea, keep them out of the water. If they have documented cryptosporidium, wait two weeks after recovery before they enter public waters. Make special efforts to avoid swallowing pool water or uh, any water, really, in recreational areas. Take kids on bathroom breaks hourly. Change diapers in designated areas away from the water. Before swimming, know the quality of the water. Some people use test strips to check pool water chlorine, pH, and bromine levels. So that's something. Nearby pool surfaces or other surfaces should be clean. An effective recipe for surfaces that might be contaminated with uh, the bugs that we just talked about involve involves just using common household bleach. Nine parts of cool water, one part bleach makes a pretty reasonable cleaning solution. Batches, make sure you make them fresh. Bleach loses its potency quickly over time, and that's important. There are more bacteria, viruses, and protozoa that can pollute natural and man-made recreational waters. Stay out of the water if you're sick. You'll be doing a public service and keeping your community healthy. That's all the time we have for this week. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Survival Medicine Hour. See you next time. You've been listening to the Doom and Bloom Hour with medical preparedness experts Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. Check out our website at www.doomandbloom.net for hundreds of informative articles about survival medicine, gardening, natural remedies, medical supplies, and lots of other good stuff. 
Contact us, send your email to drbonespodcast at aol.com or use the contact form on the main page of the website. See you next week.